John Travolta, that's right, he is still going, is quite literally on fire in this dirt racing soap opera. That's what we're watching today on The Zoom Lens. I want to win races. I want to be a champion, but that's something I'll never be racing for my day. I just don't know what to do about him. You guys will figure it out. You got a whole bunch of talent, son. Come on up and talk to me. What's on your mind? Accepted an offer from Bobulinski. I'm not going to race for you anymore. Blinsky, he's a snake. You get involved with the likes of him, and I guarantee you'll get hurt. Championship means more than your father. Champ and Rowe in the lead with a new car on a new crew. Dirty damn shame. I got an idea. Why don't you and me go race? Welcome, everyone, to the second episode, really the first episode, because we considered the the actual first episode, episode zero, the pilot, but welcome to Zoom Lens. That's right. We've come up with a clever uh, racing pun. You know, know, Josh, when I was, when we were thinking about this, we were trying to think of like an actual name for this podcast, I realized just how many good racing podcast names have been taken. Like every racing like play on words or phrase or pun has basically been used. Like like gas and go, uh, green, white, checkered, victory lane celebration. Like they're all taken. It was hard, but I thought Zoom Lens, you know, like a camera, like a racing, it has the word Zoom in it. And we're recording this over zoom so it all it all adds up beautifully you came up with the name credit to you for for coming no, up with i, I don't name. i don't want credit for it just yet you in case people that hate exact it. thing happened where yes every every possible little uh right up to out of the groove that every name is taken. yeah i i got in before the rush i i was able to snatch it an a half decent one up early on so i'll, I'll take that one but um, but welcome to Zoom Lens, everyone. This is the official first episode. Uh, the pilot, we kind of uh, just went with the flow. It's very stream of consciousness, if you will. We talked about At Any Price, the 2012 movie starring Dennis Quaid and Zac Efron, all about an up-and-coming ARCA series driver who gets caught up in a big family drama. It really turned out to be less about the racing and more about the soap opera so for episode for our true first episode we wanted to pick a movie that maybe isn't as heavy on the nascar but is very heavy on the american short track racing side of things so today we're talking about trading paint it was released in 2019 it stars john travolta shania twain uh and it is and it is something. We're going to talk about that movie in great detail. Should you watch it if you're a big racing fan? Is it worth sitting through some of the the sloggy, sluggy, sloshy scenes, exposition scenes and conversations to get to the great racing? Or is it ultimately all for naught? Josh, um, first impressions as we dive into this, uh, going into trading paint. Uh, so I this one, this one is uh, my fault. Uh, if you will, I suggested this movie from the trailer. The racing did look really good. Um, and we'll get into that. I, I will say the, the racing um, was very good. We'll talk about it. Um, and the, the key thing that I was looking for after at any price with, with that movie, we talked about, you know, it, it could have been the racing was very much uh, secondary to anything. It had nothing. He could have, the, the son could have been a, karate champion or uh you know a break dancer it didn't matter cornhole Um, world champion that's what i want to see yeah yeah it had nothing to do with the story this one the racing is much better integrated you can't take out the racing without dramatically altering the plot for what it is 
um, and we'll get into that. But I, I felt like the, the racing in this was much better and, and it was actually part of the story, whatever the story might be. Absolutely. And, you know, I I have not seen many John Travolta movies, but I can't imagine many people who watched Grease in the 70s or watched Pulp Fiction in the 90s would have said to themselves, you know, I wonder what John Travolta would look like driving a dirt late model at Talladega. <laughs> but that is what this movie uh, kind of centers on. So if you want, Josh, we can kind of dive into the plot, uh, basically hit the main plot points. It's not a super um, convoluted or complex story line to follow um there will be spoilers we will be spoiling quite a bit of this movie but this movie is about as predictable as as it gets so um in a nutshell, this movie follows Sam Monroe, Sam the Man Monroe, who's a, a dirt racing champion. He's uh, older now. He's been retired for six years. And his son, Cam Monroe, is continuing the family uh, racing legacy, the, race, the family tradition. He now races Sam's dirt late model at the Talladega short track right there on the grounds of Talladega Super Speedway. And he's also great, but he's held back by his equipment. Sam, as great of a driver as he was, he doesn't seem to have the funding to compete with the best racers in this local short track tour and so the opening scene we see cam his son leading about to win and then his engine blows and the family the team's arch rival bob linsky takes the win instead so that's where this movie really kicks off and that's where we establish the conflict between cam and sam cam is young he wants to be a real race car driver. He wants to make this a career. He's got a wife and a, a young kid at home living in a trailer. He wants a better life for all of them. He wants to earn his living by winning races. And his father's team won't give him that opportunity. So he ends up taking an offer from that rival, Bob Linsky, to drive his faster, sleeker, shinier new car. And that pisses off Sam Monroe, John Travolta's character. Josh, you can take us from there. The two of them, that was really the, that's the inciting instant. He disowns his son effectively. Uh, he fires him from the family towing business. And, and that's where things really set off. That's the first real moment of conflict, if you will. Yeah. And I want to give a disclaimer here because your description of these events is far more intriguing than the way it actually plays out. This movie is, is a series of things that happen. Right. And so, mm -hmm. yes, we have this set up the, the father, the son disowned goes to the other team. A lot of good stuff comes out of this, a lot of cool racing scenes, but the movie just sort of plays out and like you said, very predictable, but I wouldn't even say predictable in that there is no conflict. So his son gets disowned um, and the, the other driver Linsky, he is of course, um, he's built up as this, uh, snake, um, you know. Uh, he literally talks like like this. This is how he talks. He just yeah, like, yeah, like, like a cartoon putting, character. Yeah, like, like yeah, uh, very much. And uh, so he he tries to convince um, right away as soon as the son joins and they ra race against. Uh, you know, the dad returns to racing because they own mm -hmm. a car. Might as well race it. Yep. And instantly, Linsky goes for the son and tells him, "You have to wreck your father." Uh, in the race. I want you to throw the race to get rid of Sam the man in the race. Uh, and the son, uh, it sounds bad, like, oh, what a, what a moral dilemma. He wants to be in with this team, but he's got to take out his dad. He decides against it. Don't worry. It doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yep. 
Linsky is not mad. No, uh, he just says, okay, yeah. (laughs) And he even apologizes. It's kind of an evil, not sincere apology, but he apologizes to the son for even asking him to do such a thing. Everything, like, yes, all that was set up, but then it was instantly resolved with no no real conflict uh, or anything. Um, There is uh, a other guy um his name escapes me there's this other character jack um, i think we meet him at a bar at one point in the movie um and this guy is also um a villain from a saturday morning cartoon show um he comes up to them in the bar earlier in the movie and he's just saying like oh you're really terrible and and just like the, the the meanest stuff you would never say to a real person um and he ends up getting punched out by sam well, Linsky, after the son refuses to wreck his father, and that's all fine, Linsky goes up to this uh, villain character who happens to also be a driver, and he says, will you wreck the father? Will you wreck out John Travolta? And this guy is so happy to do it. Uh, like, he practically, like, rubs his hands together yeah. and twirls as well. I'd be happy to take him out for you. Can't wait to wreck my own vehicle and throw my own career over this for you. Uh, another guy on another team, apparently. Like, uh, makes no sense. Um, but don't worry, uh, because it's fine. Um, John Travolta gets wrecked. And as he gets wrecked, the sun crashes into the wrecked car. And it's horrible. Um, for about 15 seconds, um, and then he's fine. He goes to the hospital, and then he's fine again. Um, John Travolta then has to come back and buy a new car because the cars are wrecked, um, which he does, no problem. He found the money for it. Um, He had it the whole time. Um, And so he gets a new car. They come back and race against Linsky, and they win, and everything is fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's I, about it. I, I, I'd hate to contrast your uh, intriguing description so much with it, but that really is is the, the true picture of this movie, of whatever conflict you thought was set up in the previous scene will instantly be resolved. The next scene, everything will be fine. Uh, there's no, Nobody's going to have to stress, really, or, or work hard or do anything clever. Um, it's just going to all be fine in about two minutes. They do, and that's basically the A plot. That is basically cause and effect what happens in a sequence. But there are two slightly deeper plots that um, kind of stick around, but again, they're not the most interesting or engaging. So, of course, once Sam, once Cam, the son, leaves his father's team for the rival team, they have a big blow-up, they have a falling out. Now, as the movie goes on, you can kind of tell that Sam realizes that maybe Cam was right all along. I do have bad equipment. I can't fault him for wanting to be a better race car driver. He's his own man. And maybe he kind of comes to terms with that. And once Cam is injured in that wreck and is in the hospital, pretty quickly Sam comes by and they basically reconcile uh, right there in the hospital room. It doesn't take very long. It's about midway through the movie. And the whole second half of the movie is them now working together to prepare this faster car to beat Bob Linsky. So that at least that conflict lasts about half the movie. It doesn't make it all the way through it's not but it gets about halfway through the other i'd say internal conflict is with sam himself sam it's established 
very early on in a very heavy-handed way that you know his first wife um, died in a car crash years ago and he feels at least somewhat responsible for it they have a very um, I would say cheesy and over-the-top short flashback sequence where he and his wife you know 20 years ago whatever are are smiling they're having a great time that's the camera's being blown out with sunshine and light and it's it's a beautiful moment they're in the car oh having fun and then oh swerves to miss an 18 wheeler and wrecks and she dies and you mentioned how uh, how he how Sam is able to pay for that new lit dirt late model car in the second half of the movie. He does so by selling his heirloom, his Mustang Boss he bought for his wife right before that car crash that killed her, and he held on to it all these years. He kept it in his garage, mint condition. He sells that to Bob Linsky, kind of against his, kind of begrudgingly, if you will, to get the money to pay for a new dirt late model. So even that conflict of him kind of, I don't know, putting his past demons to bed and maybe letting letting the past go, stop holding on to things from the past and living in the moment, selling his car so that his son can now race and realize his dreams. Even that conflict is kind of settled in the first half of this movie. And I mentioned that um, Shania Twain, am I saying that correctly? She's in this movie as well. Um, and she plays... John Travolta, Sam, she, she plays his new love interest. And Josh, I, I know you had some notes on this. What is, what does she really add to the story, if anything? I so here I kept thinking that her character was sort of our the audience surrogate, right? Like mm-hmm. she existed to ask him questions about racing or whatever, um, but she doesn't really. Um, she doesn't ask those kinds of questions. Um, I, there could have been conflict with her and the son. Um, maybe, you know, as John Travolta is getting over the loss of the wife, uh, maybe the son isn't or no, that's fine. They have a really um, close relationship and she's able to talk, help talk him through um, his problems with the father. Um, it's very weird. She has no point really because even as you described, the the story of John Travolta learning to let go of the past and all of that, he's from the jump. He's fine with Shania Twain. There's not any <laughs> awkwardness there. That The story of him getting over the past is resolved through the car, through that classic 1970 Mustang, um, which I looked up, by the way, randomly just to see, and it does sell for about $80,000. Ah. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. You, you um, know the film uh, <laughs> maker just Googled the same thing you Googled. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's probably true. Uh, the, the level of authenticity of this movie is probably came from a Google search. Uh, but yeah, Shania Twain, she has, her character is just kind of floating because she she's not really an outsider right she's portrayed as this other woman who's always grown up here from the same place so she also wouldn't have any questions really about uh this local racing scene or the lifestyle Mm -hmm. um although the movie does make her ignorant of it uh at a few times where she like walks into his garage and sees all his trophies and And surprised yeah yeah, surprised how have you asked long and hasn't heard of this she Uh, asks what donuts are at one point she you know does the thing where she calls racing a hobby and john travolta has to be like no racing is not a hobby you know that whole bit Well, we've basically glanced over, we've, we've given you guys a basic plot summary, and I do want to talk more about, you know, our, our 
the issues we had with the story, with the structure, with the actual filmmaking aspect in a moment. But because we're racing fans and we build this show as kind of, you know, racing fans react to racing movies, I do want to start by really taking a deep dive uh, and analyzing some of the racing scenes and racing references. Like if you're a NASCAR fan or a dirt racing person, a dirt racing fan, and you watch this movie, what kind of, uh, what feelings will you get when watching this? How will you, um, h- how realistic are the scenes? Does it represent the culture uh, well? Is it cr- critical of it? Like how does this race handle the racing movies? And I know you touched on this at the very beginning, Josh, but I do think the many Um, racing scenes that all take place at the Talladega short track, a dirt track there in Talladega, Alabama, you guessed it. I thought all the racing scenes were pretty well shot in the sense that the angles they use, some of the spectacle, which they did go full Hollywood for that one car, for that one crash with uh, Cam and Sam Monroe, where they had a huge fireball pyrotechnic. That car is fueled by napalm. Half the budget, yeah, half the budget went into that explosion. It reminded me of that bit in The Office when um, Michael makes that makes a threat level midnight, and they have the scene where Toby's head is like replaced by like a watermelon or something, and it explodes. And he says in the show that you know that was like our whole budget on that one scene. <laughs> it's basically what happened in yes. this movie. Uh, I get the impression at least. Um, but aside from some of the over the top things, I made a few notes here. I think they actually represented the surface of the dirt racing world well. Like early on, it's established that one, this is dangerous. Um, we obviously midway through the movie, we see the crash sending out of the hospital. But two, they acknowledge and drive home the difference between good and bad equipment and how a driver can make a difference, but really a driver's only as good as what they have under the hood, what they're actually running. That basically fuels the entire conflict of this movie. Um, They also do a good job, I thought, of acknowledging how big a role family plays in racing. We see family in NASCAR in the Cup Series, brothers racing against each other's fathers and sons carrying on each other's legacy. But in the local level, I imagine family ties, family connections are even Greater, and I mean, we see this routinely. Family connections are super important. That's how people get into racing. So, uh, and then one other point: the costs of racing. I thought I don't know if that eighty thousand dollars or whatever they spent on the dirt late model. I don't know if that's accurate exactly, but I know it's expensive, and that's another huge point of this movie. John Travolta's character Sam ha- does not have the money to be the best in that series. He has to sell his you know eighty thousand dollar car to afford it, and it got me thinking of you know. In the Cup Series in NASCAR, we know about like Eric Jones's story. Eric Jones's father, who passed away a few years ago, I believe, uh, of some sort of cancer. Um, years ago, when Eric Jones was starting racing, he had to sell, I think, like an old Corvette or something to keep Eric's career um, afloat to help his racing journey continue. And I know Eric Jones, once he made it to the Cup Series, it was a great story. He was able to buy that car back, that exact same car. So, you know, the idea of selling a prized family possession to further either your career or your son's career, that happens in racing, I imagine, quite a bit. There are a lot of sacrifices that need to be made to get the funds necessary to race in any level, not just NASCAR, not ARCA, but a a weekly dirt late model series at Talladega. It's expensive. And I think this movie at least acknowledges that that is a very real conflict that people struggle with, that people who race at these levels have to deal with and think about and kind of consciously race with that in the back of their mind. So um, I don't know what you thought of the racing scenes, Josh. I thought as cinematic as they were, they didn't often tell a cohesive story. Like, you know, passes were just happening. You didn't see like 
crossovers lead to you know another crossover or momentum. Didn't see a whole lot of that, but at least the shots looked pretty cool, and I thought they looked cinematic. All of those things you said are part of why I would call this a racing movie compared to say at any price, which was had nothing to do with it um, because all of those things are part of the plot. They have to buy a car. He needs to make money. Um, all of these things, um, though the plot does turn on those things. You couldn't just make him a football player and have the same movie. The different things would, would have to happen. The story would change. Um, and so that part I really uh, appreciated. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking for as we go through these movies is what is really a racing movie and what just has racing in it. Um, and so I, and to, to that point though, I will say the other piece besides the crash, which is uh, spectacular, but also a little ridiculous. If you watch racing, you would never see <laughs> anything like that. But for a Hollywood movie, I will give them a pass on that. What does kind of annoy me is that like a lot of racing movies and even a lot of sports movies, they Hollywood can only understand um, physically hurting the other person, right? Mm-hmm. Like we got to take him out. We got to crash him just like in a, you know, a football movie. We got to injure him. We got to hit him really hard. Like that's the only way for these guys to have conflict with each other and resolve conflict. Um, I, at least at any price had them fist fight afterwards, which is a real thing that happens. Um, I'm not sure how much of this, uh, you know, oh, he, he's coming up in points. We got to start wrecking him out. I'm not sure how much that is really an option purely because of all the other stuff they set up about the price. If you wreck somebody, you're probably going to wreck your car too. You're going to have to pay for that. Certainly why there, there's no indication why you would want to uh, wreck somebody instead of just beating them like don't you want to also win like uh the way the guy just sort of takes one for the team and like okay yeah sure i'll wreck john travolta i don't care <laughs> like mm-hmm. that that seems a little bit of a stretch to me but uh, the way it was shot i i thought was really good um but yeah like you said it is very hard to follow the race through it you want to see uh good looking racing um this movie has it it does look good and again like we said without any price racing just naturally looks good on camera yeah um it's even the you know everybody lined up in a in a train is kind of cool looking on camera good angles all of that stuff very good looking racing and again they shot it at a real track um i looked into a little bit of the production those are real uh racers you see except for the actors um that these are real cars all of it 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 is very authentic and it's all on location as well they shoot it all there in alabama all the racing scenes at least it appeared at alabama at the talladega short track so there is a level of authenticity um that is evident that is prevalent but um yeah on on that one more note on on trying to follow what's actually happening on the track as far as what position is everybody in how many laps are left what move is leading to which move I noticed the commentators because that's one thing. They, they during these scenes, there's a little bit of music. Dun, 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 dun. There's engine sounds. They didn't have as an at any, at any price the you know shifting into overdrive. Yes, I, no, I, nobody hit the nas. Nobody hit the nas. Um, but 
to make up for you know the lack of visual cues, they had the commentators, basically the 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 PA announcers, ex- over explaining what was going on. In fact, and this is kind of getting into just the plot, which we'll get into more in a second. But they would like in case you hadn't been able to tell based on all the earlier heavy-handed in-your-face scenes that Cam and Sam Monroe don't see eye to eye, father and son. They have a rivalry. The track PA announcers would repeat themselves over and over again over these racing scenes. You know, oh, by, by the way, Cam and Sam, they've uh, had a run in this past week. Uh, like, how crazy is it that Cam is driving for his father's rival? Isn't that nuts? It's like the movie, I, this is one of my larger points, but the movie did not trust the audience to follow even the basic, most basic of plot points. And in the case of the racing scenes, they knew it was going to be hard to follow the racing scenes. So in that case, I think they overcompensated a bit and it became kind of obnoxious. But um, like I said, in many cases, it was all surface level. There were a few cameos I noticed. The most notable cameo was Red Farmer uh, does get a brief uh, bit of screen time. There's like a a banquet or some sort of uh, event that many of the drivers in the town are attending midway through the movie. And I guess it's Red Farmer's retirement ceremony, which um, Red Farmer's in his like mid or late 80s now. Uh, I believe he's he was just recently inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. um, And he's still he's still been racing into his 80s. I know he was recently in and out of the hospital with um, pneumonia, I believe, but he's he's still going. I don't know if he's still racing, but he is still going. A remarkable guy, a remarkable legend. He gets a little cameo, a, f- a few little lines in the background of this movie. And the one scene that I think was intended for the maybe the hardcore dirt late model fans out there was when Sam and his buddy Stumpy go to this guy's barn to to buy his new dirt late model and during that scene the guy the sales guy is is rattling off all the different parts and pieces in this car and I don't know enough about dirt late model racing to understand what most of it meant, but I did hear one name. Uh, he shouts out Clements Racing Engines, which uh, Jeremy Clements, I believe that's a family-owned business, um, Xfinity Series driver, of course, and team owner. Um, they build racing engines, so um, that I know that's a real company that builds real parts for dirt late models and has had a lot of success doing it, so I thought that was a neat little plug and shout-out. bunch of other parts and pieces and brands, you know, the so-and-so carburetor, the blankety-blank transmission, whatever. You know, He's just kind of rattling things off, which it's, it's the thing where, oh, hey, I recognize that, and so my brain makes me feel happy because I, I recognize that reference. You know, that's what I imagine that scene was was for for the hardcore dirt late model fans. But um, but overall, yeah, I, I I thought the racing scenes were good. I, I thought the racing scenes were in many ways the highlight, as over the top as they sometimes were, as as in your face as the commentators were at times. The racing scenes are where this movie I thought thrived the best. The, all those parts, I will give it credit. The, they talk about the parts, they name drop the the brands, but again, that's part of the plot. The you need this car drama, you need this, um, you know, we need better equipment. We need to. How are we going to afford it? What is better equipment? Well, the engine blew on this one, so this guy, you know, all of this stuff is very important to the plot and and the plot again there it's not like there's big conflict big drama you're never worried about anything but the movie would be a different movie if it didn't have all of that stuff and i thought that was a uh, a little bit of extra sophistication hollywood having about racing that they wouldn't normally have they wouldn't pick up on that dynamic between driver and equipment 
and, and how those two things interact. You can be an amazing driver in a terrible car and a terrible driver in a great car uh, and everything in between that. Um, and that they kind of captured that uh, and they captured the, you know, the rivalry between the, the two drivers, I thought very well of Sam Monroe and Linsky. And you do kind of have that, um, you know, one of them is hometown hero, uh, you know, local corn fed boy, John Travolta versus the, the mean drive, the dirty driver. Um, it's never quite established, except for the fact when he goes to, uh, you know, snidely whiplash and asks him if he wants to wreck the other guy. Uh, um, you know, aside from that, he doesn't, we don't really see him do anything bad. Um, he breaks a boom box in anger at one point, which I guess is supposed to be scary. If you watch this movie for any reason, and don't recommend it, it, it commits the the ultimate sin of a movie, which is it's boring. Uh, but if you watch this at all, watch it for the racing. Um, it does does seem like they picked up on a little something with how racing works, it, how the competition works. One last note before we move on to more broader plot points and topics. Um, I loved the scene where John Travolta's character is being interviewed on a local radio station by like the local sheriff, and it's a it's a racing show. He's being asked about his upcoming season, everything like that. And they have an older woman call into the show and basically start just going off on how he should take out Bob Linsky, how Linsky's the worst, how he's terrible. You should you should send him home, blah blah blah. And they're kind of laughing about it. That, that sounded very similar to what I see in Facebook comments, sometimes here on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They got that part, as stereotypical as it may be, they got that part, I think, pretty accurately. So um, they at least did some homework. Again, like we joked earlier, maybe not too far beyond a couple of Google searches, but they, they, they did some things right when it comes to the racing world and the racing culture. But um, we're about halfway through the show. I think we should move on to some of our gripes with the broader plot and and uh, just yeah. storytelling well in that radio station scene that's a good point uh to jump off of there because that um this whole movie takes place in alabama um and i grew up in alabama and so i'm i'm sensitive to what feels real and what feels doesn't what, what feels fake and hollywood and this does a lot of things that are pure hollywood and aren't the way that alabama actually is First thing I, I would ding them for is um, in that radio station, it is old and dirty. And that is the most disgusting radio station I have ever seen in my life. The the microphone wind screams are, are literally molding. Um, <laughs> it, it, that they they have radio stuff in Alabama, y'all. Like, <laughs> they do they do have iphones they have computers um like the this whole you know for uh decades if not longer than that the south has been seen as behind the times but they're not behind the times in technology or culture they're they're behind the times and some other stuff which is for a different podcast but not this like they're not uh, ancient and they very much have that old and dirty 
thing with the South that it's not really like that. Uh, I'm sure they can. They and they did find all the old barns and things like that. They found all of them they could and shot there because that's not really. Uh, the, they have WalMarts and McDonald's and uh, gigabit internet. It's fine. Um, like they're not really behind the times. And I think you really see that when you, uh, you the the local townsfolk when they're when they're at like that local that um, dinner the with the retirement dinner or they're interacting with other people. Everybody's dressed like um, they work at a hardware store in 1965, right? <laughs> and again, that's not, they got, they got real clothes there for sure uh, in the South. Uh, and when, but when you see the crowd shots at the race and they're actual real people that came to see it, you get a more accurate picture. Like they're all wearing contemporary styles. They're using smartphones and things like uh, this. There's, two Alabamas that exist in this movie. There's the authentic stuff where they show it and like, oh yeah, those are all normal people, like very contemporary, looks like it was shot in 2019. And then there's this like fantasy Hollywood South where it's all like Andy Griffith and that kind of thing. <laughs> very, very old uh, to the point that I, I, would, I would ding this for being too retro in that I'm not sure any of the people in this movie are old enough to remember the stuff that this movie seems to be nostalgic for that, like old South, uh, you know, I don't think they were old enough to actually, I think that stuff was old to them then uh, when they were young. Um, it's, I don't know, it, it, the whole, the, the scenes that were constructed for the movie look like the inside of a Cracker Barrel. The scenes that are <laughs> shot of actual Alabama with actual Alabama residents look like normal. Uh, yeah. But that radio station is emblematic of the whole thing. It is disgusting, uh, that radio station. Still all, all old analog equipment. Nobody's got a laptop open or an iPad next to them anything like that i sorry not buying it that's not that's not alabama little hollywood for sure it makes me think of that that meme that's sometimes painfully accurate where it's like mexico or central america in real life just looks like a normal town and then next to it's mexico or in movies and it's all like yeah, a yellow mariachi bands <laughs> yeah well <laughs> it's just the coloring alone like they just they make it look worn and you know just gr grittier i guess that's very over the top and that actually brings up one of my biggest probably my biggest takeaway of just this, the way this movie was constructed is that it feels like a student film. The filmmaker doesn't really have like their own distinct creative vision. So they just fall back on cliche overdone tropes, things that they've seen done a million times. Like when they have watched movies growing up and seen like, you know, the South, they think, Oh, it's gotta be kind of dirty, gritty barn, old analog. That's what the American South is supposed to look like. Uh, there's a couple scenes like early on that I just felt like were so heavy handed and have been overdone for decades now for one, that car crash scene, the flashback with the, his first wife, whether it's literally, they have like angelic music playing. The bright light is washing their smiles out. They're kissing. They're happy. And then, Oh, she dies. Oh no. Who could have seen that? I know because I used to go to film school and I did basically that exact scene once in a student film. So I, that, you know, I just, I think when you don't have your own distinct style, you're just doing what you've seen done to try and be taken seriously. Another great example was when Sam, uh, 
Um, after Cam tells him he's leaving the team and he fires him, Sam goes to the bar, a dark, gritty-looking bar, and literally says to his friend that he's drowning his sorrows. Like, how many student films have I seen where there's a guy down on his luck, sitting there drinking, getting drunk? That's been done a billion times. It's not original. It's 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 extraordinarily cliche. We talked about the car crash scene. That was the one big Hollywood moment where they, they poured all their pyrotechnics into that the back of that car and blew it up for spectacle. That's because the director knew, hey, if I want Hollywood to notice this, Americans love explosions, the Transformers movies. Uh, it, it has to have spectacle. And so they threw that in there just because they felt like they had to. So that's I felt like this movie was a student film. They don't have the confidence in their own unique filmmaking style to do something different. So they just end up doing everything they think Americans and Hollywood expect from a racing movie set in the South. There are a lot of of not just the crew, but the cast that are uh, foreign and not from Mm -hmm. the United States to begin with, much less a a slightly relatively speaking a little more insular culture like the south and that kind of small town thing a lot of it feels like they don't really know what to do with it or don't really have any connection to it and so nothing has like you say there is no style to this movie except for some pretty ugly color grading in a couple places i I don't know that i would call that the style um there's a couple ugly scenes in this movie uh, but I, don't, I really like don't feel like anybody in this movie um, really cared or was inspired, like loved racing and wanted to write a love letter to racing or write a love letter to Southern culture or anything like that. Uh, like you say, with the, the, the meme, like if this took place uh, somewhere else, you would have you know, like an Eskimo with a spear, right? If this took place in Alaska or something, right? Like they didn't really know what it was, but they they could Google a picture of it or or something like that. That, um, yeah, it was was very bland, very bland. Like you say, the bar is every bar you've ever seen in a movie. Um, The old Southern barn where they go to get this race cart. You've seen that barn in every Walmart commercial and John Deere commercial. Um, you, you've seen all of this before, the, except for, of course, the uh, nuclear explosion that happens when this guy gets rammed at you know high speed um, as if the entire thing was made of gasoline. Yeah. I just came away from this movie. Like The racing scenes were pretty fun, and while the plot's not remarkable not full twists and turns ultimately you know i I like john travolta's character and i want to see him get what succeed and win and and ultimately he does he gets what he wants at the end of the movie but i found myself asking multiple times especially at the end why don't i care like why do i not really care that much like i I wanted to see him succeed but it wasn't like you said this commits the ultimate sin of just being boring and i think you made this point earlier Um, i know we talked about before the show a little bit but Every conflict in this movie is easily overcome. Sometimes it's overcome like a scene later. Sometimes it's half the movie later. But from down to Sam himself, Sam's been out of racing for six years. He comes back, gets in that same lousy equipment his son couldn't win in, 
and immediately starts winning. Like that's yeah. why Bob Linsky says, hey, you need to go take out those Monroes because Sam's just come back at age like 50 something and is winning. Or I think he's even in his 60s, they say. I don't remember. They they name it his age at one point. It's like he's older than I expected and he's just immediately winning. No, no struggles there whatsoever. He can immediately sell that car to buy a new car for his son. Sam or Cam, even when he gets injured, I mean, basically, we jump forward a few weeks in time and he's back racing. Like, it kind of just skips a huge gap in the plot there, or a huge gap in time there, and just goes straight. We don't see any of him struggling through like rehab or trying to get off crutches. It's just, I'm back from the hospital. Let's build this car and go in. They do it. One, you know, um, rocky montage later, and, and they're winning their, their race at the final scene. It's That's why I didn't care. And I also don't think Bob Linsky was truly established as a major racing threat. Like, the only race I think we see him win is that first race where he only wins because Cam's motor blows up. Like Cam beat him straight up and wins that race easily, if not for his equipment failing. The rest of the race, again, Sam comes back and starts beating Bob. So Bob's not beating Sam. He's not established as a super credible threat. His only credible threat is I'm going to wreck you guys out and injure you. That's the only credible threat. But as we've established, that conflict is very quickly, easily and anticlimactically overcome. So uh, that's what I was trying to figure out. I don't know if you felt the same way, Josh, but like, that's why I feel like I just didn't really care that much about what happened to these characters. Yeah. And you know, the racing is so good that I felt I was primed to care. I was primed to try to invest in something because again it felt it felt close to authentic it was in the same neighborhood as an authentic racing movie and so i was primed for it but yeah the everything is so easily resolved in terms of like even the you know shania twain and john travolta dynamic at no point is there a threat of them breaking up. You know, John yeah. Travolta says, oh, I'm not ready. And then they have to talk it out. And, you know, that, that doesn't happen. He just sort of gets over it and it's fine. Uh, you know, the son, at no point do they really reconcile. Um, they He just sort of comes back to race for his dad because his dad's got a new car and, like, he didn't like Linsky. Okay. It seems like... Um, there's something sinister. Linsky is not only a sinister racer, but he's a sinister boss uh, because Cam goes to work at his Ford dealership, um, which, by the way, well, we didn't uh, we need to talk about the the Ford in this movie. Did you catch all the the Ford product placement throughout this movie? There were a few. I, I noticed a few. I, I didn't think too much of it, but I mean, you're right. There were more. There was too obvious to ignore. I bring it up because. I am actually, I, this, this is uh, uh, maybe a hot take here, but I am uh, pro product placement in movies. I hate when characters in movies have things that are like called potato chips and, and things like <laughs> that takes me out of a movie um, more than when I see them eat Domino's brand pizza or mm. whatever. Like I would prefer a real brand to uh, a fake brand. Um, as far as immersion goes, but it leads to, I have this conspiracy theory about this movie that somewhere a better movie exists. Oh, and yeah. I touched on it a little with with the, the Shania Twain, it seemed like a bunch of her stuff was reshoots, um, but sloppy reshoots with that caused all kinds of continuity errors. Uh, but the I wonder if, there was too much influence on this movie and Ford would absolutely, the, the amount of Ford in this movie, they would be ones to 
have opinions about the course of this movie. And like you say, the, the movie doesn't trust its audience. It doesn't trust you to be able to follow this stuff or understand what's happening. Uh, and so it's constantly making up for that. That all combines to make me feel like there were a lot of hands in this movie saying, change this, add this, this needs to happen. I don't understand this, fix this. Um, so I, I wonder if there is a better movie somewhere where there is more conflicts or there is more, um, you know, nobody has to use their brain to overcome something. Um, there's not even really, uh, it, it's like you said, Linsky's not a threat in the racing scene. And so um, we're not really worried that he's not going to win the championship or anything like that. Uh, you know, it, there, this movie seems not just like it has no conflict and it doesn't trust you, but that that's almost on purpose. That's an interesting point. You, I mean, because you know a, a major brand like Ford um, who might have footed a significant amount of the the bill for the budget of this movie because this movie from what i could find only made like like eighteen thousand dollars in ticket sales so this movie was not a commercial success by any means at least not in the traditional sense so you know if you have a big company like a ford coming in and getting their fingerprints all involved and more importantly funding this project uh yeah you're kind of at, you have to bend to their will, so to speak. And if Ford wants a feel-good movie where nobody gets hurt and nothing bad really lasts and no, the audience isn't left with a negative taste in their mouth for any significant amount of time, I'm with you. I wouldn't put it past them that that could be where this thing kind of went off the rails. Because, yeah, it just it felt kind of like a Hallmark movie in some ways. But at least in most Hallmark movies, there's some sort of lasting interpersonal conflict that they have to overcome. You know, there's there's something that that's there throughout the movie. In this case, the only real issue is between Cam and Sam, and it's they make up in that hospital room about halfway through, and it's not really a concern through the rest of the way. And I thought your point about Shania Twain was great, is that I was waiting for this movie to have a moment where she says, Sam, you can't keep doing this. Sam, you're you're throwing your life away trying to win this race, trying to bring your son back. You're trying you're spending too much money on on this new late model. You're doing all, like you could do so much more if you just let it go. And then he has gets as a falling out. I was waiting for that. It never came. Like it, maybe that would have been really cliche as well, because you kind of expect that kind of thing from a movie, but some things are cliche because they're proven to work. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. But I'm with you that there felt like there maybe was a better movie or some key scenes missing from this movie that potentially Ford played a role in. Unlike uh, At Any Price, which had heavy ARCA branding for a few scenes, I didn't see any heavy NASCAR or ARCA or any sort of World of Outlaw, any sort of like name brand series branding in this movie. So you know that they weren't working closely with a racing sanctioning body or probably not even a track. I can't imagine Talladega Short Track has that kind of pull. So Ford is probably the most likely culprit, if that is the case. Yeah, because there, there was too many places where it seems like i the the shania twain the son being injured they have a hospital set they have they took the time to do makeup on his injured legs and things like that that's a lot of 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 effort for something that just there could have been another 10 minutes there of him recovering and you know maybe the conflict was uh, you know, they had to, the father and son had to work together on his recovery, um, but they were both still mad at each other. And they came to realize the family is bigger than racing or something like 
there could have there were places where there might have been some conflict at no point you know even i i would have settled for something dumb in hollywood like at the end of the movie john travolta punches out linsky because we already <laughs> know he'll punch people uh he punched yeah. that guy in the bar uh so like you know or cam now uh punches linsky and kisses the girl like i would have taken something like that like <laughs> some sort of movie resolution to things uh you know or uh maybe they they had to do something fun or funny to get the money um you know or or more dramatic uh somebody had to convince him maybe shania twain had to convince him to get rid of the car she had to be the one to convince him of that yeah. uh you know something but but it just everything is so sanded off and smooth but the reshoots are telling me there's something something else was supposed to happen here these characters were supposed to be different uh something like that um and are are we on, on this this topic of things that didn't work are we going to talk about the the character with one leg being named stumpy uh well, that, to be fair wasn't that, that a nickname okay? this movie was made in 2019 is that okay yeah uh, i mean they, they build they play it off as oh he got that nickname himself ah again that feels like they just googled you know south and found that oh you know they're they're okay with little goofy nicknames like this and you know they're very on the nose about this kind of things i i don't know yeah that was over the top that was on the nose <laughs> well and he lost his leg to an alligator and yes. i Google, i had to google that i was like are there are there alligators in birmingham and apparently technically yes they're they're do alligators i have never in my life heard of an alligator attack in alabama before but okay not that far uh, north at least i mean you're close enough to florida i mean yeah gonna... they, they do te technically i guess there there are alligators there somewhere uh not sure um, we, we need to get Danny B on the line. Has he ever seen alligators while he's bass fishing? Has he ever heard of yeah. somebody getting eaten by an alligator? Uh, I, I told that was a little weird, but I wish yeah, we could have seen that scene. That's there's a lot of just like exposition in this movie, and it's like some of that I wanted to see visuals for. Like I wanted to see him getting attacked by that. Can we get a flashback of the of the death roll attempt? You know, and, and <laughs> see John Travolta yank him from the literal jaws of death. Like that's. I, I know I understand you might go over budget, but like the, the, too much exposition, not a lot, too much tell, not enough show. That's like rule number one of filmmaking, right? Well, yeah, and Stumpy, Stumpy is made out to be that like he's the old reliable best friend. You know, he, he's he's loyal to John Travolta because he did save his life, and he thinks John Travolta is a hero and all that. But I I thought Stumpy would have been funnier or dirtier or something, you know, like he didn't do the, just like Shania Twain didn't do the outsider role correctly. He didn't do the friend role where he's supposed to be sort of the id to the to the protagonist's, uh, you know, normal, well-rounded personality. Yeah, he was he too wholesome. funny or obnoxious or something. Yeah, he was too wholesome, I thought. I, I agree. Um, like he was one of the characters. I, I want to talk about performances for a moment because we touched on Shania Twain, but I thought um, Kevin Dunn, who plays Stumpy, I thought while the character wasn't the most remarkable, I thought at least his performance seemed genuine. I felt like he could almost be a real person. Um, but I want to talk about John Travolta for a second because I noticed 
I know one question that we kind of raised before uh, before recording was, you know, like, why did this movie get made? And I looked, in, and John Travolta is listed as an executive producer. There's, like, five or six different production companies listed on this movie. So a lot of people, to your point earlier, had their fingers on this thing. But John Travolta also plays the main character. And I don't know how old John Travolta is now. He's got to be at least in his 60s. Um, it, he puts on a little bit of an accent. He He has a little grizzled appearance got that that kind of gray goatee beard he kind of looks the part he doesn't quite feel the part again i haven't seen many john travolta movies from his prime even to know exactly how this compares has he fallen what like what is he doing at this point in his career but i mean what what was your take on john travolta's performance as sam i now there are there are people listening to this right now who might be curious um, John Travolta lately, and I mean the last uh, five, 10 years or so, has a reputation for uh, really, really bad movies, um, but generally in a fun way, like they're they're hilariously bad um, or things like that. That is not this movie. This is not Gotti. This is not The Fanatic. If you're looking for that kind of uh, John Travolta performance where it's just cartoony and and cringe and surreal. That's not this. Um, I will say uh, it's a it's a bad Southern accent. It is not Nicolas Cage in Con Air bad Southern accent, but it's a bad Southern accent. Um, but I appreciate that John Travolta is the type of actor that shows up to a movie to act, to pretend to be a different character, to take on mannerisms and uh, alter his appearance and all of that kind of thing. That doesn't happen. Uh, Chris Pratt does not put on an accent and do that kind of thing. You know, all the, the, the major actors that you've seen in every franchise, they don't do that. Um, that's very old school of John Travolta to do something like that. Um, sadly, old school, um, that, not that there aren't actors that do it, but I appreciate in a movie like this that somebody showed up to work, especially because you've got other characters, the son primarily, but you've got some foreign actors who this is clearly on their resume to prove that they can do an American accent. So hopefully they can get a Netflix gig or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, they can cross over uh, you know, uh, Shania Twain, who, um, well, I, I found an interview with Shania Twain and John Travolta and talking about the behind the scenes with this movie. But Shania Twain is in this movie because she woke up one day and decided she wanted to be in movies. She didn't, she's not curious about the, the craft of acting or the craft of filmmaking. She's just famous and she can decide things like that like okay i'm ready to be in movies now somebody cast me and so i'm sure when you go to the ford motor company and you say will you help me finance this film we've got shania twain that helps right uh having john travolta attached to it that kind of thing helps uh the performances outside of john travolta are very bad um shania twain 
She has that, like that, the same grin on her face, just slightly. Yes, the whole that, movie. she's very self-conscious about the camera always rolling. Which again, yeah. if you're making a music video or you're walking a red carpet or you're performing on stage, like she has, a, that's her background. Is she's a singer? She performs in front of live crowds, all of that stuff. When she's on film, it's music videos. Both of those things, you need to have that sort of. Uh, self-conscious understand that everybody's looking at you right now you need to be on for them that does not play in this movie she comes off as like a sentient jc penny catalog um, <laughs> very awkward as you can tell she's not an actor in the same level of like uh i, I kept thinking of megan fox megan fox has that same thing where she's always self-conscious that the camera is on she always seems to feel stupid saying her lines like it's fake or something she doesn't understand acting um and, and that comes out in that promotional video i found it was uh you know from entertainment tonight canada that shania twain is canadian by the way uh -huh. um she the she's talking about John Travolta and the thing she brings up is he can cry on cue like he can just cry at a moment's notice and like yeah that's that's acting that's because he's a professional <laughs> actor that's what you're paying for you know like uh you don't want somebody that you have to put fake makeup tears things like that like she didn't seem to have any appreciation and she asked she's uh, and maybe i'll drop a clip in it here but she says is this real just watching him um in the moments i mean this guy cries like on the spot like, is this for real or what so and like no, it's not. It's acting. You are you are professionally playing pretend. Uh, whereas John Travolta, he does understand that. Like, and it's a very traditional view of acting where I'm supposed to become somebody else and internalize them, internalize their mannerisms, their accent, all of that stuff. Shania Twain has no understanding of that. Has no concept of it. Um, but. Um, as revenge in that same interview, John Travolta is asked about his favorite uh, Shania Twain song and he can't name any. Do you have a favorite Shania Twain song? Right. If you had to pick them, there's so many, but if you had to pick one. <sighs> that don't impress me. <laughs> okay. So you got a car. That don't impress me much. Certainly, that that is a is an icon of song, but uh, I have too many I like. You know, I, I I could listen to Shania all day. This is after him talking about how oh I love Shania Twain. I'm a huge Shania Twain fan. She's perfect for this movie. She does such a great job. Oh really? What what do you like about Shania Twain? Uh, I don't know. There's so much. Uh, um, that that to me says a lot about this movie that. Um, a lot of people were mismatched or, or put together for the wrong reasons, even uh, that there's a lot of different hands, a lot of different viewpoints and things that resulted in this very bland, everything sanded off the sides kind of thing. Um, just bad performances uh, all around. But again, I will give John Travolta a pass because at least he was trying. At least he showed up to work as an actor and become a character and wasn't just uh, Shania Twain's, put me in your movie. I'm famous. People <laughs> know my name. Uh, I, I belong in movies. 
um john travolta it's not you're again you're not going to be doing impressions of this with your friends like you will with Gotti or the fanatic or something like that but uh it, it's still it's still bad it's still pretty bad gosh yeah th- thinking about that interview I, I feel secondhand embarrassment the poor interviewer put a put the interviewer put poor john travolta on the spot and we know he's not great uh, at always being put on the spot i feel like my generation knows john travolta best for i think it was the oscars a few years ago when he introduced uh edina menzel as was it adele dazim i, I don't know <laughs> it, it like broke twitter back you know when twitter was first starting to get broken you know but <laughs> twitter was just viral enough that it could happen um but yeah so I'm with you. I, I do want to give a shout out to Michael Madsen, who plays Bob Linsky. I made fun of his voice earlier. It's not great. It's over the top. It's cartoonish. Feels like a Mickey Mouse cartoon from the 30s. But to your point of him, he came to act. Act as something. He he, he did come to, ah, oh, would you go wreck that guy? I, I, I hate his face. Like, he, he, you don't see normal people like sound like that. I would like to see way more Linsky. And again, <laughs> just like everything else, his secretary she gets a lot of lines and a lot of screen time and nothing happens with her that she's another case where I thought maybe there's something cut where she has a change of heart and she goes and gives secret information to John Travolta because, you know, she was so loyal to Linsky, but then Linsky turns it, she comes around to see he's a bad guy or something because yeah, I I actually, you know, thinking about, I would have liked to see a lot more Linsky um uh, and even, again he could have been that sort of uh fanatic gaudy performance you were looking for in this movie uh from John Travolta that could have been him but again it wasn't he just he's fine he everything is resolved he's okay uh but we're told he's a very bad guy he's evil he's a snake he uh, broke a boom box my goodness <laughs> he did he broke the boom box oh. what, what, that tells you everything you need to know. His own, his own boombox. He probably bought for his own shop. He broke it. He's evil. He, that 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 settles it. Um, well, as we start to wrap up here, I know you, we've kind of both. I mean, it's pretty clear how we feel about this movie, but I want to get to our final conclusion, our final verdict. If you're a racing fan who also likes to watch movies, maybe you want to humor an indie director or small budget productions, you're curious, what what's John Travolta up to in the late 2010s? What should, should you watch this movie? Josh, what do you think? Should you watch this movie? What would you tell people? I'm going to say no. And I feel really stupid because I said yes to at any price because by <laughs> itself, I guess that movie was a little more watchable. This one is it's too boring the at least in the other movies you, you might have something else to latch onto it is it's boring it, it the the racing all that we said about the racing all that's true it's very good um true to life uh, in a lot of different ways the hollywood parts are acceptable but the rest of the movie there's just nothing to latch onto Nadia, you know, Linsky's performance is good, but not enough. It's not, again, you're not going to really be memeing on it or anything. Uh, John Travolta, it's a bad performance, but it's not cosmically bad like Gotti. Um, It's, there's just nothing here. It's not good, but it's not good, bad either. Yeah, that really, you summed up. It's very, it's just too boring. And it's a shame because, we said earlier this movie's only like 80 something minutes long it's not even an hour and a half it's barely a feature length film 
and yet it feels slow. Um, at any price, while it wasn't a racing movie, while it, it took a lot of convoluted, confusing, and inconsistent turns, at least it was paced such that you're kind of roped in. And Dennis Quaid, Zac Efron, very professional actors, at, at least giving you something interesting to watch on screen at all times. Can't say the same for this movie. Uh, the racing scenes are pretty great. If you can find uh, some clips on YouTube, uh, you know, see John Travolta in a fire suit racing against you know great dirt late model racers at Talladega. Like that is that sounds cool, and that's why when you brought this movie up or you you pointed out, I was I was intrigued just because I guess I too was morbidly curious about what John Travolta was up to or how Shania Twain would perform on camera, and I'd say morbidly curious was the, ended up being the right word because I, I don't think either uh, impressed and any major way so i too would probably say no uh if you're a hardcore racing fan i know you talk about this sometimes josh but if you're the completionist type and you just want to check one off your list at least it's a short movie it's no yeah. you know avatar it's not going to cost you three hours but it won't be a pleasant 90 minutes let's put it that way well that'll do it for the first official episode of zoom lens I'm going to keep driving that name home. I hope it sticks. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Josh Mull, great to have you as always. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah, and um, if anybody listening, if you've got suggestions for what movies you want us to watch, if you've got a good racing movie, um, absolutely let us know. We will we will get around to it. We are building up our list. We've been talking to people. Um, we're going to get some guests on here. Uh, but if you have a movie, a racing movie, uh, all I'll say is, yes, we are aware of Days of Thunder and Cars. <laughs> we will get to it. But right now we're looking for, you know, in our conversations, we talked about we want to go off the beaten path and find those racing movies that maybe everybody hasn't heard of, hasn't seen a million times. But if you've got a suggestion, we want to hear it. Yeah, and as we keep going with this, we want to eventually be able to like plan ahead of time, so it almost treat this like movie club. Like we tell you guys, hey, be sure to tune in next week. We'll be watching this. You guys can watch along with us, and so that when we have these conversations, you can feel uh, much closer, much more closely attached to the characters we're talking about, the plot points we're talking about, the conversation itself. Um, so that's kind of our goal going forward. But uh, Josh, thanks for being here. Episode one officially in the books. I had a good time. Looking forward to uh, doing this again thank you everyone at home for listening we will see you next time on zoom lens <laughs>